All right, hello. My name is Nick Powell. You are listening to The Beat on BFF.fm. Welcome to the show. It is 4 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. And that was my favorite band, Rat Boys, uh, with their song, Charles Bernstein. We've got a jam-packed show lined up for you today. It's the first time ever I've had three shows in my show, unless you count this part of the show, in which case I got four shows in my show. In fact, it's so packed, I think it would be... If I go through a whole thing about what's coming up on the show, it's going to eat into the show. But on 4.30 on Beat the Game, we'll be talking about a game called Her Story, which won a bunch of awards at the Game Developer Conference over the last couple of weeks. Um, Enough said... Uh, at 5, we have our new show, Heartbeat, about dating in the digital age. We're going to talk about wedding etiquette on social media. Christine will be joining me, and I cannot wait to hear her insights on the topic. At 5.30-ish, we will be airing an interview that we did uh, earlier this week with artist Nicole Hebron on Artbeat. Uh, my co-host Lily Simonson and I uh, recorded an interview Um with Nicole, um, who is right now sort of doing a lot of things, but um, is showing a uh, retrospective or a display of her gallery tally project, which uh, we talked a lot about, but is basically about representation of gender or representation of women artists in the gallery world, and the results are stark. Uh, and they are illustrated and demonstrated and brought to the fore uh, by that project. I actually went and saw it this weekend uh, in at the Los Angeles Contemporary... Ooh, I don't know, at Lace on Hollywood Boulevard in L.A. Um, so anyway, uh, stay tuned. Um, until then, we've got uh, jam after jam. Uh, as many jams as I can get in... Uh, so, uh, we'll, uh, do another, uh, four or five jams, and then we'll have to get started on the Beat the Game. Uh, please stay tuned and try and keep up. Uh, this is Troubled Hubble with I'm Pretty Sure I Can See Molecules. You're listening to The Beat on BFF.fm, and thanks for tuning in. One with nature, two for tea, three's a crowd, and all for me to walk the plane. 
Pedal off of their new album Shame with Tommy. Before that, Marvelous Darlings. Uh, the song is called Friend of a Friend. Uh, and before that, Mind Spiders. No romance. Um, I've been trying to figure out whether I like the Mind Spiders after buying most of their albums. And I think the answer is yes, but I don't like them as much as radioactivity. I don't know that much about how this all works, but I think that the marked men who I like, after they broke up, they became two different bands. Some of them became the Mind Spiders, and some of them became radioactivity. And I think I'm more of a radioactivity guy. But that one song, the, that Mind Spiders song, No Romance, is the first one I found that really captures the radioactivity slash, the radioactivity side of the marked men that I so admire. So, it's a lot going on with me on that front. Um, I'm finally getting a little centered here. I was rushing around all day. And I feel like I got another 10 minutes until we launch in to beat the game. And I'm just going to kind of calm down and see if I can keep keep everything zen, so to speak, on this Sunday afternoon. So uh, we continue on with the wave pictures off of their new record. The record is called Great Big Flamingo Burning Moon. And the song is called I Could Hear the Telephone Three Floors Above Me. You're listening to The Beat on BFF.FM. Tell 
phone A sugar-soaked aunt in the sun The look on her face is priceless On the hall floor of the Pattersons Not sleeping in a sleeping bag And I could hear the telephone Three floors above me Soaked ant in the sun Startling the cat with a struck match The phone pressed Tight against her ear like a seashell Cigar smoke shadow on a blood red wall Lipstick stains and the telephone crawls And I was in a sleeping bag At the Pattersons in the hall And I could hear the telephone Three floors above me
the morning
broadcasting live from the Mission District in San Francisco, California, it's Beat the Game. Beat the Game. On BFF.FM. good at that yeah it feels like it's on the rails now yeah i skipped the uh, i like to make that reference to cap street to just uh just because i think that's probably good for a laugh one listener out there probably chuckles when they hear me say broadcasting live from high above cap street uh, uh station manager amanda has actually commented on it yeah in the past. she thinks yeah it's but i had to skip clever. it that time because i wanted to get right in there before <laughs> the vocals start um <laughs> Welcome to Beat the Game, our weekly video game discussion show. April Fool's edition. April, okay. Um, no, it's not actually going to happen. I hate, <laughs> I hate April Fool's. In fact, I've been commenting this year has been especially bad because none of my social media, none of my social networks like have chronicle, chronological timelines anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been spilling over into like yeah, that's that, third that and yeah, yeah, that is a real drawback of the cur- sort of curated or algorithmic uh, population of your mini feed or your feed. Your feed, mini yeah. mini feed, I think is an outdated term. I like to use timeline in reference to this because uh, it's even more ironic when you realize that the timeline has nothing to do with time anymore. Oh, that's a good point. Unless you're going back, you know, because you yeah. can go back to if you want to look up what your ex-girlfriend was doing three years ago. Um, not that not any of us have done that. Speaking of uh, speaking of um, April Fool's, so one funny thing that was happening on April Fool's was, um, you know, on uh, I watch a lot of uh, Hearthstone streamers yeah. and uh, um, they've been releasing cards, the you know, like every like every day or every few days, there a couple of cards come out, and they're pretty like ridiculous. They have cards that are like based on actual streamers that <laughs> have like pictures of the streamers yeah. in them. They are, there's very weird cards come you know that they're teasing, and you never know exactly when they're going to come. They four come out, and then two come out, and and uh, so of course, like on April Fools, it quickly became apparent that like the streamers were all just fucked. Because whenever a stream, whenever a new card comes out, as someone in the chat just goes, "New card, you check out the new card," and then they pull up like a link, and then the person, the streamer, puts it on screen and like talks about it. But of course, people just Photoshop Hearthstone cards yeah. and just make up whatever they want, yeah. and so all the streamers were just like, oh, "I'm just not looking at new cards until tomorrow." <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, but anyway. So yeah. today we're talking about her story, her story, which is a game that I played. Yes. Oh, I didn't even... I guess maybe at some point I thought of that. That's kind of lame. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'll accept that. <laughs> uh, I mean, at least it's not one word um, in the name of the game. Um, but uh, this is a game that came out, I think, June of 2015. And I had played, probably not then, but late last year. And then um, I, I think... I, when I brought it up for the show, the reason I brought it up for the show is because it just had a big splash at the GDC Awards. It yeah. won, I was looking it up today, like I knew it was a big deal, but I was looking it up today, it won like best game or something. Really? It won, it won best narrative, and then it won mm, something else. Um, 
best new game or some most innovative game or something like that. And it was just like, I mean, those are heavy duty awards for, to be going to a pretty low budget, you know, out of no, yeah. and, and like, you know, not, you know, not an expansive game. I mean, as, as we said last week, like there's a lot of value in a new play mechanic. And I think yeah. this one did bring some interesting ideas to the table. Like, well, so why don't you tell, talk a little bit about what the game is and yeah. then sort of what your initial or what your impression of it was? So, um, I guess to start with sort of the just the facts, uh, it is a currently uh, as of broadcast is a six dollar game on Steam. Nice. Uh, it's uh, about two hours of playtime. I think you said, which I spent a little more than that in there, but um, yeah, I think I meant like. Ah, uh, you only need to give two hours to be radio ready on yeah, it. I think yeah. I spent three or four hours on it. Uh, but it is not like a hundred hour. There's no way you could spend like a hundred hours in this yeah. game unless you're like really trying to uh, to delve deep. Um, the primary mechanic is uh, in old school, like 1990s era computer, uh, and you type search terms in and you get small videos back. And uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that. Um, are sort of implied limitations of the technology at the time. The videos are less than a minute usually. Uh, the um, you only get five results back at a time, and through those two kind of mechanics, uh, this um, police interrogation is is just broken up in all these separate clips. And your job, although you're dropped in the game without any explanation at all, uh, there's a readme file, but it basically just says you know, I've set you up, type search terms in, let me know if you have any problems, which you can't do. Um, Your job is to figure out what happened, essentially. In the police interview. In the police interview. Why the police interviewed this woman. Uh, All of the videos are of the same woman, um, the same actress. Uh, You try to figure out why the police are interviewing her, what actually happened. Uh, It doesn't even tell you um, the first search term that you're that you're given with the results is murder, but it doesn't tell you who was murdered or when right, or right, right. any of that. There's a timestamp on every video, so you can kind of string them together chronologically. Yeah, but which they're, and they they take place over a few months, so yeah. there's like you know time and date, and you can kind of start to put things in order. But the only way to bring up new videos is to find new search terms. You can't just say play right. From you can't again. browse or or you know arrange them on a playlist or anything like that. So one thing I know I've said this in the past, uh, but this particular game. Um, can be ruined very quickly by spoilers. The entire point of the game yeah. is to figure out what's happening. So if uh, if you don't like spoilers, it's it's not going to take very long before we start giving away big pieces of the game. You yeah. might want to uh, set this aside until you have a chance to play. Definitely, definitely. Um, so let's talk about why you why you think it was given so many awards. I mean, I yeah. I absolutely understand the. Uh, the idea that it's innovative i don't know that it's more innovative than any of the other games we've talked about though yeah so i mean so so things that are interesting or novel about this game are um it is f what they call fmv uh which is like a funny it's like a motion video yeah it's a funny thing because like it's like all it's a it seems like an overly um stylized uh you know a term for just like video yeah um but basically what that's what they call it when you use actual footage 
in a video game basically and and sort of to tell a story in this case it's not like computer generated or anything it's clearly just uh like a camcorder or like a webcam sitting on a desk pointing at a woman um and so that and and that that kind of game has had sort of a storied history uh mostly mostly uh tragic uh in gaming um and and it's an interesting thing it's an interesting you know area of gaming it, you know it, it of course it makes sense that at some point people would start using just straight up video clips in gaming because gaming you know tells stories about humans living yeah. in the world and tries to put you in that place and so you you know it, it it's a it's an obvious place to go but of course the problem is that you you have to film every scene you yeah. can't have objects that then can sort of interact based on physics or based on whatever um, back end you have in the game. You have to just sort of, um, you know, plan out what the viewer is going to see. It, it kind of devolves to the like choose your own adventure book. Like every every action in the game has to be thought of beforehand, right? And scripted out. And the easiest way to do that is to have sort of these narrative choices that um, are very simplistic, essentially, right? where you have just like a yes, no choice that results in two different things. And then a lot of time the, you know, narrative tree kind of just comes back to a single point so that you can have the narrative do what you want. Right. And I, I think in that respect, like this is an interesting game because it uses full motion video, but isn't, it doesn't, uh, force you into that choose your own adventure, like Mm -hmm. a or B decision. Right. Um, it still right. allows you. The whole you... point of the game is that you're not going to see it in order. Yeah, and it's not going to work. It's not going. It's going to be disjointed. Yeah, and so then it gets around the problem, which is like trying to trying to treat you as if you have any power over something when it's all been scripted out yeah. for you. Um, I I think it did lead to kind of the artificial limitation of like some clips are like five seconds long, and she's like, "Yes, I didn't do that," or mm-hmm. you know. No, I didn't see him here. Yeah, um, and some of those I think are just kind of keyword bait to get you to get like to force the results for obvious choices to be more than five. Oh yeah, well so that and that was a cool limitation. I you know I'd sort of not thought about that um, specifically until you mentioned it now, but at the time when I was playing it, that I thought was a very cool that not only did they, you know, you have to guess the keyword and then pull up the results and there is the key by keyword we mean basically if the word is said by the interviewee then it pops up yeah i guess i should say the search terms are based on what the woman says every single video is subtitled and every word that she says is a keyword right exactly And you can do like phrase searches you can say like you know he shot at me in quotes and then right and then and then and so the the cool thing about the five video limit is so the idea of the five video limit is if you if you do something that returns more than five results it just sort of tells you like well here's the first five um which one is cool because it it it's realistic in other words it feels like that's the way that a shitty 90s computer in a police station would work and you'd have to deal with it and two it keeps you from being able to just type in and or something and like get and like check out like 20 videos in a row yeah i guess the the thing that um the thing that got me though is like thinking of the time and expense to film um to film this woman and then to like have someone chop it up into five second mpgs in the 90s like yes so there was a there that was a non-realistic 
point where you were like, why would why would this video get cut up like this? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's what, sort of what not, value would that have other right. than to make this game interesting? Right, right. Other than to get the possibility that it was scrambled and then you had to go and find it, uh, figure it out. Um, anyway, so so getting back to the the question, like what you know, so what is sort of what really turned people on about this game? Um, so I think that the, the, that is obviously one thing, and sort of. I think maybe a separate but related point is what we had just talked about, where A, FMV, B, uses FMV in a way that doesn't make it yeah. just, like, lame. Um, but to be honest, and I liked the game. I liked the game all right. Um, I didn't, like, think... You know, I it, it's actually a funny game for me because I, like... That was, like, the game when I started playing like a bunch of games before we started this show, that was like the first one. So in other words, I started playing, you know, in other words, I was playing games, but I was playing games that I would play for a long time each. And then, and then I started this thing where I was like, I'm just going to check out games, these two hour kind of games. And that was like the first one. So at the time I didn't have much to compare it to, but looking back, you know, I, I don't think I'm not, I'm not super impressed by the game. I don't think if I was playing it in a, line of 10 that would be the one yeah um i think that the acting in it in places is really very good but in places is like you know not super professional level acting um i think that there are definite flaws like why did they cut up the video i was listening to a podcast about where they were talking about the game and they were all just losing their minds about how ridiculous it was that anyone would ever pick up a guitar in a police interview um and uh, so I guess we should say now, if you if you really hate spoilers, this, well, it's yeah, over. I mean, we can get this there. Yeah, yeah, this is the um, end. Um, but <laughs> like, so to so that's to um, you know, so there are like so acting is mixed. Um, the uh, the um, the uh, what were we just talking about? The guitar. The the oh yeah, there are no, but also the cutting up the video. There are yeah. various like totally not believable elements. Um, there. The story itself, in terms of the Shyamalanian sort of ending of the, you know, and the, yeah. is, is, like, I think there are cool elements to it, and I love how there's sort of a duality of, like, there's sort of two possibilities about what the real answer is, and you sort of, you kind of can, can debate which they are, you know, the twin versus schizophrenic theories. Some crazy woman. But, yeah. um, but, but at the same time, like, not a, Holy, H O A W H O, holy satisfying, yeah. you know, narrative. Like it's not. It's like like most M Night Shyamalan movies where you watch it at the end and you you at the end and you're like, okay, like I, I guess it. that was cool, yeah. but like it wasn't like that. Like I just like, oh my god. Also, like it wasn't most like usual sp- suspects level. Shyamalan movies. If you figure it out early on, then the rest of the movie or the rest of the game is kind of boring. Yeah. Like so. Um, I, I've read some reviews where people were like, I took all these notes and like tried to correlate all these facts together and all that. And like, to me, honestly, the story did never grab me that hard. Right. Um, so what I started doing was just like doing like, you know, crime keyword searches. Like the first one was murder and then I did police. Right. And then I did like knife and gun and yeah. like he shot me and stuff like that. And a bunch of them didn't really work. And then I forget, I started just writing down or just remembering people's names. 
So then I did a search yeah, for I did Hannah, a lot of that. I did and then a lot I did a search that. for like the parents. And then at one point, someone mentions when I did a search for Hannah, someone mentions Eve, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I searched for Eve, and then Eve led me to Attic. And then once I got to Attic, it was like, okay, I figured it out. But I still don't know who's dead, right? I have already figured out that there's a twin, mm-hmm. or that she says there's a twin. Yeah. But I don't even know like what the crime oh, was. Interesting. Like so I had already figured out there. the twist before I figured out who yeah. was dead. Yeah. Or... Although that's, I mean, that to some extent that's cool because that's the point of the yeah. game. Unless yeah. you really felt like it kind of. Well, um, no, but I didn't, I definitely didn't like, at that point I didn't fall into like the whole, like what is going on here? Cause right. I was just like, Oh, okay. Right. So, but yeah. And even, I mean, I think my, uh, w- route through the story was a little bit more what they were planning, but you know, it's just kind of like, I mean, part of it is, you know, they're exploiting to some level that are on some level, this like thing of the, the vagueness yeah. In other words, they're saying they're saying sort of like there's a lot of unanswered questions here. They don't all have to be answered. Yeah. You're living in this space of like there's confusion and there's gray areas and stuff like that. And I like that. But at the same time, like that also th- creates a limitation where like there's never going to be that moment where you're like, "Whoa, I got it all figured out." Cuz yeah. it's never there is no all figured out. And so yeah. like, you know, that's I think that's, you know, the vagueness is part of how they made it work, but also part of why it there was a limitation to how much it could work. Um and then, you know, so to 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 say one other thing that I think was really good about it, and when I was hearing the criticism of the guitar thing, I think what I um, I agreed with that criticism, but there is something about the game, just the way it's shot and the acting and the story that gives you, a, that kind of puts you in like a little bit of that feeling Suspension of... Suspension of disbelief. Yeah, or? and it, it, it gives you that, there's yeah. a certain type of murdery uh, literature or, or, or narrative, you know, there's a certain kind of narrative where people are really crazy and you can kind of suspend disbelief and there's something kind of cool about sitting in the dark in front of a console by yourself and sort of letting yourself into that thing where it's possible that people could be like just like really crazy it's like there's like i'm like one thing i I think of is like the the tv show luther did you watch that show no no um, but i was thinking of another tv show uh law and order criminal and i was just thinking about law and order too or also um, jeff goldblum shows up and he just starts playing the piano like every other episode so i have not watched a lot of criminal intent but but it's true that in certain law and order episodes like you've got like the rich new england like 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 a matron who has been like murdering people like and you're just like this is like i don't believe this but i but i can kind of if you're kind of in the moment if you're like by yourself i can be entertained by this but um sherlock is like another yeah totally like where yeah like you don't believe that those people exist but you kind of can get into that thing so you know i could think that the the show actually put me in that in that place or the movie, I mean the, uh, the game put me in that place to some extent and there is a solitary. So your character, the position they put you in is you are on the console by yourself in like sort of deserted police station 
trying to figure this out. Trying to figure and it out. And so you, when you feel that way, it does give you that thing where you kind of can open up your mind a little bit, which I thought was really cool. I thought the music, like was kind of cool the in cues, that way yeah. it kind of puts you in that space and then you can kind of and then so then when she pulls out the guitar you're like wow this woman's really creepy as opposed to thinking like wow this woman's really ridiculous yeah Which who, she also who gave is. this woman a guitar right when they um, think she committed a crime anyway um so i thought this was good i definitely thought it was worth the five dollars or whatever right, right. um it, it isn't going to hold you up for too long. It's interesting to try and play around with. Um, Do you have any thoughts on why people got so into it? Or, I mean, why it was... I mean, it's funny because, like, so I heard about it when it, it was coming out. And it was all over the the podcast that I listen to and the media that I, that I you know, that I uh, consume. Um, but it wasn't like this is a mind blower. It was yeah. like, this is a really neat game that you should check out. And then, and then it kind of was in the, in the zeitgeist for a few weeks and then it was out. And so then to see it come back and be like, cause like there are other games that came out this year. I'm trying to think of like, what were like the hip games? Like, well, her story, I mean, uh, <laughs> this is called her story. Life is strange. Life um, is strange. Was another one that kind of came like, you know, where people were really into that for, a, for a bit. Um, I I just think, think of yeah because anyway. it is so different and yeah. because it's clearly serving a different market. Like when um, when you talked to me about wanting to talk about this because it came up at GDC, you said I wouldn't like it at all. No, because there's I, then no I murder. stopped. Then I stopped myself and I, I said, I well, mean, maybe that, you would like it. That's a fair criticism. Oh, I said you there were no zombies. Yeah, yeah, which is an issue. That's a fair criticism because like. I've been playing games for so long, and I am the like clear cut demographic as I've been playing video games that everybody wants to target as it keeps happening. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I was a kind of kid that would go to arcades all the time. So like the Atari and the NES and all that was clearly geared towards me. When I became a teenager, I was the kind of teenager that had like the three different consoles in, in his house and a TV in his bedroom. Mm. When, like when I became an adult, I was a kind of adult that had like the, you know, several thousand dollar computer in my college room right. to play video games so like and i'm a man uh so that entire time like all of the games have been serving sort of my right. preferred fantasy they because they've been targeted towards me yeah. right because people think yeah. that i'm the only sort of person that will buy video games right and to see a game like this that serves an entirely different because like you said there's no there's not a single drop of blood in the entire thing right. she talks about a crime that happened um the real excitement is in sort of that mystery novel sense of yeah. like who done it and like, you know, how did we get yeah. from here to that? Why are we even talking yeah, to these and people? There's like a psychological drama yeah. and all that. Um, and a lot of what she's talking about is like interpersonal relationships. Mm. Um, because you know, the crime, the crime itself doesn't actually take up most of the conversation or you'd figure it out right away. Yeah. Right. So like a lot of it's just her talking about her parents and his parents and why they went on vacation and why she was mad at him and right. drove to Glasgow and what kind of drink she likes to drink. And yeah. like, you have to put all those pieces together to yeah. build this narrative. So, yeah. And I mean, there's a positive and a negative take on that. And I mean, in other words, what you, you wouldn't want to come away thinking, well, this game is being touted because it's sort of like hitting on these notes of being like 
non-traditional yeah. audience, yeah. whatever. But um, but I do think you know I do think that 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 is a lot of why people connected to it. You know, I think that's the positive way to look at it. Is that that's not why people necessarily you don't have to put the carpet before the horse and say that's why it's getting so much attention you can say well, that's why people liked it people yeah. liked it because it was yeah, like that's opening up a whole new uh area i remember my wife walked in while i was playing it and was like what is this that you're doing you know she was interested in it because it looks different it doesn't yeah. look like a video game and it's true too what you say in terms of the the the, uh, the masculine violence thing uh, but then there's also like I feel like there's two kinds of video games. There's like the child Nintendo video game, and then there's the masculine violence video game, and this is actually neither. Yeah. So it's not only is it not just blood and gore, but it's actually kind of like, it's sort of mature, but it's not really male gendered, and it's sort of not really action-y, and yeah. you know, there's, you know, it's just, it's a new thing. I guess what I was really trying to say is it's like, you know, how everybody was absolutely shocked at like bejeweled was the number one video game for a while and it's not so much like to to me this game succeeds for the same reason that bejeweled succeeds because it's like not not in like a crass like you know they're shooting for a specific demographic but just in that like someone tried something that shouldn't have worked Mm -hmm. but they still made like a compelling experience right and that uh it really happened it became popular in my mind because it wasn't just feeding people what you know that what everyone thought they wanted yeah. i mean just like a movie right cuz we know now that like a blockbuster is going to be a certain formula and right. it's going to basically serve to the power fantasies right. of like right but you have 25 year old males yeah but but i guess my my, and i i hope you don't uh fault me for stealing the last word here but uh the the difference is that indie mo- indie movie to win best picture still has to be freaking tight. Yeah, and it has to be profici- pro- professionally yeah. and tightly done. And this, I think, is it was a little bit of a raw piece. But yeah. anyway, last thing I'll say is uh, I did hear her story two has been tweeted about, huh. and the only thing that is confirmed is that it will be an unrelated story. Yeah, it so was, I was that'll trying be, to figure it'll out. It'll be exciting to what see it would what be about. Oh. Yeah, uh, but it'll be exciting to see sort of what comes next because yeah. this will be an opportunity for this guy. I can't remember his name, Sir now or something like that. But anyway, for him to sort of try it with a little bit more of professional, you know, a yeah. little bit more of a budget behind it and see what he can, how he, far he can take it. Fingers crossed that this isn't True Detective season two. Oh, that's fucked up. Shots um, fired. Shots fired. Well, thank you for joining me. As I uh, mentioned at the top of the show, we are jam-packed today, so we'll have to leave it there. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. On Beat the Game. Beat the Game. Beat the Game. On BFF.FM.
Heartbeat on BFF.FM. Big city life, me try to get my pressure nice up no matter what me try. Big city life, in my heart have no base. And right now, Babylon, they're on me case. Big city life, try to get my pressure nice up no matter what me try. Big city life, my heart have no base. And right now, Babylon, they're on me case. All right, welcome to Heartbeat on BFF.FM. Hey, Christine, how you doing? I'm great. How Thanks are you? for joining me. Thank for you. For another our third episode. Woo! So we're really getting uh, getting a catalog together here. <laughs> um, so I am beat. I just go. Oh, pun, pun. Whoa! I am beat. Uh, I should do a show about being tired called Beat. Uh, I just got back from a wedding in Los Angeles and, uh, we were inspired today to talk about weddings on social media because, you know, I think a wedding is a real opportunity to do a good job or a bad job Uh on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a real, um, that can be exploited for good or for evil. Yep. It can show people that you're more important than them. Yeah. It can show people that you're more obnoxious than them. It's a lot going on. Yeah. Kat, my wife, was particularly upset today because she uh, she got so many likes on her photo. So I guess one thing you can do as a guest at a wedding, if you want to farm likes, if you want to really just bring in the likes, is... Um, take a photo of the couple walking down the aisle and just go like, beauties. <laughs> yeah. And then you get like likes, like bam. Like, yeah. You can't but, not like that. Yeah. But Kat got so many likes that she, um, like it was sur- surpassing likes that we got for our own wedding. Uh-huh. And she was like, this is bullshit. Like, what have I done? I've created a monster. Well, I, I'm wondering, was that picture one of the first that was posted of it's possible yeah it may also be like one of the uh you know that maybe there weren't that many that were like really good like yeah. like you know sort of iconic yeah couple pictures you know she, she might have also been i mean she's a she's an influencer mm-hmm. her network is very large mm-hmm. and so sh- her photo of the wedding showed up in a lot of people's feeds and so she got a lot of likes. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we're getting, we're working through it. It's not a, a huge. Are you, you got kind of like a Christy Alley voice going on, by the way. Are you really? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm a little bit sick. Yeah. I've been sick for a while, but. You getting, you getting better? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm fine. Good to know. Yeah. Um, what, what, what else do we want to? Well, I have a question for yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead. Because I remember, at, so your wedding was what, like five years ago-ish? Six years 2000... ago? 12. Okay, four so four years, years ago. So that was actually, from what I recall, recall like pre-hashtag wedding. You know, I don't time. know that it was, but it was definitely, I mean, we did not indulge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I definitely don't think, uh, um, I definitely don't think that uh, the, he- the wedding hashtag is a is a sure thing choice. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely like a judgment call and you have to be, it's very contextual whether or not it's a good idea. But I feel like it's becoming much more common. Really? Just to like organize the photos around the wedding. Uh huh. But I felt like I will say at your wedding, it felt a little bit more special because it was, it wasn't this like public thing. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. we were, some of us were Instagramming maybe after Mm -hmm. like given a grace period. But now, with the, like, immediate uploading of photos and the hashtagging, it's just kind of, like, a right. tacky? Yeah. No, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, 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 but fair. Know. But, I mean, I guess what I was, and obviously we were being a little, I was being a little facetious in the intro, but one thing I do think is, like, kind of rough about the way that it, it is such an opportunity to exploit, yeah. like, it, you know, get attention that um, people can turn it into. And this is, like, sort of an unbecoming thing about the way people treat social media in general is just that they treat it as, like, a way to do a PR event for themselves. Yeah. As if there is something, I mean, which sort of presupposes that there's something to that you're promoting, which is, I guess, your personal brand. Yeah, your um. personal happiness. Like, <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I understand what you're trying to expe- express to people, but then there's just, like, the simple thing of getting yourself in people's faces so that they think you are glamorous, which is, I guess, an, an end in itself, but also it just seems like when you're, when you're using, like, things like hashtags that are, like, like, a, like a, it's like a hashtag campaign. It's like a marketing yeah. event for, your, for yourself, which is, like, kind of yeah. rough. How do you um, feel about the hashtag on, like, the wedding program? Well, so let's just be clear. Like, first of all, the hashtag is a failed mechanic, right? I mean, the hashtags in general are, like, have a very, very rocky history of being... I mean, 90% of the time that anyone introduces to a hashtag to, into anything, it's because they are out of touch and they are failing at doing what they're doing. Okay. You, you seem shocked by that statement. I, I'm just saying, like, it's much more It's much more common that, like, you go to, like, a shitty event and they have, like, a hashtag, <laughs> hashtag. than you go to, like, an awesome event and they have a hashtag, right? Yeah. If you're, like, at the cool, the coolest party or the coolest concert or whatever, you know, you go see Prince play the troubadour because he shows up... And, you know, does, yeah. you know, it, there's not yeah, like a poster not. on the wall that says like Prince, Prince Troubadour, yeah. right? Because Prince sure. doesn't need a freaking hashtag, yeah. you know? Whereas if you go see like, you know, uh, the band, the Mumford and Sons, you know. Yeah, at Levi's, then, at, Levi's branded 
right. stadium at Coachella. It's, yeah, it's like exactly. Mumford at Levi's. Yeah, or Levi's yeah, loves yeah. Mumford. Yeah, Levi's loves Mumford. As as if, which is like basically you are like experiencing a thirty five year old account like a marketing executive who doesn't know shit about shit like telling a seven or like a fifty five year old. Like business executive, how to get kids excited about jeans? Yeah, and like they're both wrong, and they're both get, <laughs> being very highly paid to do this. Anyway, this is all just in. Uh, this is all just a way of saying that, like, you know, it's a. Um, it's t- it's tough to navigate because it it kind of. Uh, you know, you're you, hashtag land is dangerous territory. <laughs> right. However, that being said, I do think it can be. One, that one of the few actual good uses of a hashtag in that you can actually scan for it and look at all the photos. Because the thing, one of the things about a wedding, as opposed to other parties, is it's often a party that you don't know, like, 30 to 50% of the people there, you know? Like, yeah. even if you're good friends with one of the people, like, there are people from their high school, family, friends, other people that, that might be, like, awesome people, and you, they might have photos you want to see, but, but that you're not necessarily friends with. Yeah. So that, so it can be cool, and I think if done well, you know, I think I think it's there's a place for it. <laughs> I think so. Was there a hashtag at the wedding that you were just at? I don't think so, no. No known hashtag. No known hashtag. Okay. Um, this wedding was cool. It was classy. It was Culver Hotel, uh-huh. which is like an old classic hotel. Um, I'm trying to think of like... Oh, there were um, branded... Um, uh, cocktail napkins, which were very, which was like cute. Okay. Uh, it was a like a little bit more. Um, that was one of the more produced moments that I like, I, and so it was a little surprising. But because the whole thing was like kind of like very low key and classic, then the cocktail napkins didn't come off as like gauche. Uh-huh. You know, you gotta be careful. Like merchandising is yeah. also a big wedding issue. Merchandising yeah. hashtags. Well, right, they go in hand in hand, exactly, exactly. But cocktail napkins are ephemeral, right? (laughs) They're not like t-shirts, you know, in other words, they're only there for the night, and then it all disappears into the oblivion. A great party should be, there should be no evidence of the next day. Interesting. It should be like a shared experience that just... Was there a photo booth? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, now a photo booth is like pretty... uh, de rigueur <laughs> I don't actually <laughs> I don't actually know how to say that or what it means but it's like most people have a photo booth these days you didn't have a photo booth though no but we definitely considered it I think that like it was just a kind of thing like where it was like $200 for the crappy one and we didn't want the crappy one and then it was like $1,200 for the good one and we were like we don't want to pay $1,200 yeah but we definitely we definitely considered it and I don't think we didn't do it because we thought it would be trashy I think we just didn't do it because we just didn't it didn't end up working yeah because, I mean, there's a lot of photo booths out there. And I don't, I'm not going to begrudge a photo booth. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, one other angle on this whole thing that we were thinking about is just like, and kind of going back to the like farming thing, is the whole, is like all of the things surrounding weddings in, on, on it's Facebook. On social. Yeah. I mean, engagement can be a huge opportunity to get 150 likes. Yeah. Um, but can also be kind of an opportunity to, like, seem obnoxious. Yeah. I mean, I think... I don't... I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like now it's standard practice. If you are if you have a big life moment, if you're not sharing on Facebook, 
you are doing an injustice to your friends. Like people want to know. Right. You and I think that friends. I think that's a fair point. And I because I fall into that sometimes where I'll like totally not do something on social media. And then someone will come up to come at me and just be like, dude, like just fucking get over <laughs> yourself and just put your baby on social media because like we <laughs> yeah. want to see your baby. And I'm like, that's a fair point. Like I don't need to like show how um, like laid back and non not involved like, with yeah that. how like how cool and yeah. stoic i am by like not giving the people what they want let's yeah. give the people what they want yeah know? yeah though i do have i mean how do you feel about i okay when i see the engagement posts like just got engaged or whatever mm-hmm. like on the honeymoon i'm more often than not like clicking like as my eyes are rolling like have to feel like I have a to begrudging click. like you just kind of not really be just more like okay like I like this I do like this but like ugh. <laughs> you know what I mean like well it's it's one of the it's like a not a humble brag but like when someone's just like not gloating but really excited about their life and you're like that's really great but like how much do I have to see of this yeah it's also a life stage thing I feel like it's happening a lot now yeah yeah, I don't know. It's it, but I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to hate on. Not hating on, but, but like no, no, no. But I mean, not. Th- it doesn't mean we can't try. <laughs> no, it's like there's one thing if it's like a really cool picture of your child or you're doing something interesting, but it's like got engaged and like da 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 da, or you know, just these statements and I'm just like, eh. yeah, like great. Hmm. Especially because these are people that are not telling me this directly. It's like a broadcast. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to like this because I'm your friend, but you haven't, like, it's not important enough for you to tell me, like, person to person. Yeah, I mean, so weddings are a funny thing because, right, there's also this, like, total weird level of exclusivity to weddings, right, where, like, they aren't. (laughs) They aren't the right amount exactly of inclusive exclusive. They're like inclusive enough that like some people you're like you're, there's always someone that you're like why the fuck is that person invited? <laughs> yeah. Or the opposite, you know, where you're like why the fuck if the, if this person you do the comparisons, right? You're yeah. like how is this person invited and that person's not invited? That's right. ridiculous. And then of course social media like doesn't um can't you can't draw those lines. There's no way to draw a yeah. line of just like this photo I share only with wedding participants and yeah. stuff. It's also like a, that's a good opportunity for Geo, you know? Who? Geo. My buddy Geo. No, for Geo, <laughs> like geotagging. Oh, Like where they can like, right. you know, the phones within a certain area yeah. can all like super populate all the wedding stuff. Well, and wasn't there an app like that? Color? Yeah. It just came into my mind yeah. too. That's so funny. I totally hadn't thought of that. And then as soon as you were saying that, I was just thinking like, Oh yeah, that's like that app that raised like twenty million dollars and then did nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it could also just be like um, a sim- like a thing where they just take where you are and just like uh, give you a little boost in the algorithm. And then it would be funny because you could be not, if you were not invited, but you lived like right next door to where the reception was, you would just be sitting there being like, "Fucking a." <laughs> <laughs> I w- I think that one good thing about that is that there's so much like old school weird courtesy polite like weird stuff about like keeping it a secret that some people were invited and some people aren't mm-hmm. like people don't mention the wedding right. for some it's like this day and age it's 
you're either invited or you're not. You're gonna find out on social, and that's that. And like, right. So it's a nice because it kind of like takes the it takes the, the mystery out of it, or like yeah. the, the like. Oh, does that? Do they know? Do yeah. They like, know? can I should I, I say that I'm going to the wedding? Yeah. And like all this right. stuff. And I think that's good because yeah. I think we should all just be more like bare about like I'm actually not good friends with you, and you're not coming to my wedding. Right. Right. No, that's a good point. I think that's true. And I, cause I, cause I'll have that conversation with people where I'm like, or like, I'll, I'll be on both sides of the conversation. Like I'll say like, oh, I'm going to this wedding. And then they'll just be like, oh, cool. And then also like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, like, I don't know. It'll come up and like, and like, I'm not invited to the wedding. And then the person will be like, oh, so actually, and I'll be like, no, 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 we don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Like we're good. Yeah. Like this is. This is something that we can work. We can we can be yeah. on both sides of this. We're adults. Yeah. We yeah. have to be more adult with social media these days, I think. We have to be We're just more... faced with more truth. Right. No, that's totally true. It's like we can't you there's like way less denial yeah. on what's going on with <laughs> your friends and with your exes <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. You can't you can't put yourself in like you can't stick your head in the sand anymore. No. It's all it's all out there. Yeah. I actually had a question for you since I've never been married <laughs> and you have. I have once. Yes. So did you guys feel a little bit like how does the married couple feel about people posting photos before like before you guys are even down the aisle? Like how do you on Instagram or Facebook? Oh, like. Yeah, I think it's okay. I mean, that's also like, I mean, so that's maybe a personality thing, right? Like, if you were kind of a control freak that wanted to like post certain things or yourself, you were kind of particular about the way you look or mm -hmm. something, then like I could see kind of being like it being obnoxious, you know, like you kind of being like, Ugh, why is this person like need to jump in front of everyone? Um, and then also like there's the thing of like people are like get off your phone during my ceremony. Right. But like, I don't, I don't know. For me, I get the, I like, I get the benefit of being like, oh, I can act like I don't care, but also be in everyone's face because nice. like someone else did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what was funny too about the cat <laughs> thing, right? It's like, those are the best, right? Is when someone else posts it and then it blows up because then you're like, I'm a freaking celebrity and I'm not even trying. Like yeah. I'm just hanging, I'm just doing my, my thing and other people are losing their minds over me. Yeah. I mean, I hope when and if, if and when I get married, people will be posting and I will get like, you know, thousands of likes yeah, 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 without anything I've posted. I hope, I hope so too. <laughs> I hope that for you. Um, but the other thing about like jumping the gun is that like, it's, it's a little bit, um, you know, there are all these like old things that you're not supposed to, like, like, you know how you're not supposed to tell people you're pregnant yeah. for like X, like there are very strict quote rules. unquote rules yeah. about that. And that for engagement, that can be the case to like, there's something to be said for like taking it a little, like having a little time before you kind of tell people. Yeah. And Kat brought this up cause Kat actually thought of this topic and Kat brought this up and was like, yeah, remember how we like sat down and like, we're like, all right, we're going to change our relationship to engaged or whatever. And then I don't, I don't remember that, but I think, but I mean, it makes sense. Right. I like, I don't think we like immediately were like, we got to, you know, yeah. there's, there's something. And that's kind of sometimes why you get eye rolly too. When someone's just like, takes a picture of like the guy on his knee and is like this prince charming just like you know and you're like jesus fucking christ like can you just like sit in your house and like talk focus on yourselves for a minute before you need to shove this in my face yeah 
But um, yeah, it's a rough world out there. I do think that like I do think wedding is like wedding is one of the more public events of our lives, and uh, you know up until the stage, uh, you know a, 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 a typical person like doesn't have. So as many that many public events and so it's a lot of responsibility and yeah. you know we're just we're just here trying to like lend a little context and get people ready because we don't want them screwing up that their big their big moment yeah though so, I don't know if we have any rules I mean well just like listen to us and anything that we think <laughs> that we think uh, sounds like it would be kind of obnoxious like just steer clear bro I I do have a question yeah did you find annoying. Because I do remember at your wedding, I was I had an iPhone. I was taking photos. Mm-hmm. Did you find annoying as you were going down the aisle, people with their iPhones taking photos and videos of you guys? No, I don't think so. Because like that's just like taking that's just like taking a picture. You and you're know? okay with that? Yeah, I okay. mean, people would be doing that. Like my grandma Ethel would be doing that, which is like a normal great camera. aunt. I mean, my aunt Bertha would be taking the snap photo on her little Nikon. Okay. If, you know, in the 90s or in the 80s or something. Okay. So, like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I just wouldn't want to feel like someone was trying to... What I wouldn't like is if some if I felt like someone was trying to use it as, like, a way for them to sort of brag on all of their whatever yeah. they wanted to brag on. Being like, if someone wrote, like, so, so excited and honored to be, be able to share in this, like... Uh, like gorgeous and you know event with like these people that truly inspire me then I would be pissed because right. I'd be like first of all you didn't pay shit for this and cost a lot of money and so I don't need you like using this as like you showing people that you like basically are like living in the elite of society and also yeah. and also I don't fucking know you so don't call me like honored don't say you're honored to be here because like I don't, you're like you you were like seriously like number 99 on our list of 100 people and Dang. you just barely barely snuck in this joint but you make a good point that i do feel like people a lot of people are using weddings as like like farming opportunities like i've been i've been to some weddings where i was excited about instagramming it maybe for the sake of being able to show that I was at this wedding. That's that's courageous. I'm just being honest. I think that's a courageous thing to say. I mean, God, you know, too, like, what if you got invited to, like, a wedding of, like, someone who was, like, a little famous? Yeah. Then it's like, A, a guy who's a little famous cares about me. B, I am, like, hobnobbing with the elite of society. C, like, just general weddings give me lots of attention. Um... (laughs) And uh, I'm getting live texts from one of the other wedding guests. <laughs> Caller Helen calls in and says, people spend a lot to go to weddings. <laughs> That's a good point. Which is a fair point. Yeah. But like, I think my larger point was just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, we have a jam-packed show today. I, I, we have, as I mentioned, three shows on the show today. So um, we have to move on to Heartbeat, which is pre-recorded today. Mm-hmm. But thank you for joining me on Heartbeat. I love it. Oh, I have one last thing I wanted to bring up. A little business to attend to. Um, so I'm thinking I want to do Heartbeat and Camel Case. What's that? 
Is that Can- a camel crush? Can- a camel case is the technical term for when you spell things the way that startups spell things, which is like they, it's all one word, but there's a capital letter halfway through. Okay. Because I, but I want to, you to know that I'm doing it ironically. Wait, you want to spell heartbeat that way? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, but that's our brand. Okay. But like artbeat is two words because that's a show about art. But a heartbeat is one word because it's a show kind of like about Hearts. technology and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're going to spell it in the obnoxious way that startups spell their names. Okay. I thought you meant like heartbeat. Like I thought when you said obnoxious startup way, like you're leaving out vowels. No. Okay. No, no, no. I'll keep the vowels. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thanks for being so chill about that. Yeah. Cool. I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Um, where is my next jam? All right. We'll be right back with Artbeat here on BFF.fm. Stay tuned. <laughs>
listening to Art Beat. Some people try to pick up girls and get called assholes. This never happened to Pablo Picasso. He could walk down your street and girls could not resist the stare. And so Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. All right. Welcome to Artbeat on BFF.fm. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Lily. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Um, today we're being joined for the second time by special guest Mikol Hebron, who's joining us by phone. Hello, Mikol. Hi, Nick. Hi, Lily. Hey, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's I, great to be back. I, uh, you, I don't know if you know this, but your first show was Lost to History, um, due to technical difficulties and um, was n- did not make it up to our, our hot podcast on iTunes. Um, and uh, I, gotta, I do know that. I, I attribute that to the patriarchal ghost of the machine. Yeah, yes. that's definitely oh my part God. of it. It's a conspiracy, totally. I, I have to tell you that <laughs> the look on Lily's face when I told her it was gone, it was, was just a look of utter desperation. I and, was very sad because... Yeah. Yeah, it was a great interview before, but you're back and we're so excited. Yeah, and so since we don't, since listen, you know, podcast listeners will not have heard the the first episode. Um, we should kind of go back over the um, tally, the gallery tally project because that's also a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. Would you mind filling us in a little bit, Nicole, on on sort of the history of the project? Absolutely. So Gallery Tally is a crowdsourced collaborative project that I started in 2013, and it's a project that I launched on social media, uh, initially via Facebook, and it's managed through a Google Doc online, and um, we currently have 2,100 participants from around the world, and what the project is is a collaborative collection of data pertaining to the numbers of male and female identified artists who are represented at top art galleries in the world. And we're tracking the percentages and the ratios of of male and female artists who are represented at these galleries, looking at what the average ratios are for each gallery and then aggregating the numbers for each of the cities that we're looking at. Um, and we have created posters from this data, so individual artists can sign up to create a, a data visualization of the ratios for an individual gallery. And to date, we have created 450 posters, each of them individual distinct original designs. Um, each poster is two by three feet. And there have been 12 exhibitions in galleries and art centers and university museums uh, of the posters. And currently there is a retrospective of posters up at Los Angeles Contemporary Exhibitions in Hollywood. And the show is going to travel to Ohio in the fall. And our next show in 2017 is hopefully going to be in Tehran. And I don't know where else after that. Wow, that's so exciting. So, um, part of why I am happy to have you back on the show, too, is um, it's been almost a year since we talked to you, and the project has really expanded um, 
or you know things are changing it's a dynamic project so i was wondering if you could talk about sort of what transformations you've observed specifically with that project and then you know broader um aspects of the art world sure so the project started because I was noticing a discrepancy in the amount of publicity and professional support and exhibitions uh, for women artists. And I began to ask my friends and colleagues in the art world if, if anyone was aware of data that would evidence the numbers of, of women artists. Uh, who were represented and who were showing in the art world. And, and everyone seemed to agree that in general they thought it wasn't equal, but um, nobody had any concrete data. And people would say things like, well, it's, it's not equal, but it's better than it used to be. Right. Um, but there were no there were no numbers out there. Um, and the Gorilla Girls, of course, started their campaigning and, and counting and posters in the 1980s, but for the last several years, they've really been focusing on um, on museums or other institutions and Hollywood and politics, but not on contemporary galleries. And I was interested in understanding better what the status of of things were for women in the art world uh, if they were endeavoring to be professional artists with a career as an artist, making money from the work, being supported as artists, and being backed by the market. And um, when the project started, that was our primary focus and question was, you know, how do things stand for women artists? And in the last three years of the project, that just asking that simple question has unlocked dozens of other questions and, and subsequently data sets. So we're now also looking at numbers of, of male and female identified artists in art schools. We're taking a look at, at articles written. We're looking at wow. the number of exhibitions and solo exhibitions that women get. We're looking at sales prices and auction of male and female artists comparatively. So I'm, I'm pleased that a simple question and a relatively simple count has actually unlocked discussions about all facets of not just the art world, but also of, of kind of how things are for women and culture in general. And there is a much more broad conversation going on, and I think people are asking more questions about, well, why are things still so unequal? And they're really probing a little bit deeper into some of the potential causes for this inequity. Yeah. What are and some of the... So I was going to ask, what are some of the things, I'm interested in the, the different things you just mentioned, schools and prices, etc. I would expect that prices would be, and I know actually from reading that prices are, uh, that men uh, command uh, disproportionately high prices uh, in terms of what their art sells for on average. Um, in terms of art school, I would, I, I don't know, I wouldn't, I, I kind of, can't I can't really hazard a guess as to what the demographics um, for for male versus female are in art programs. Right. So you would hope that it would be equal because it's an academic educational institution. Um, but from the research that we've gathered so far, and we looked primarily at schools in Los Angeles and New York, 
at sort of the top uh, MFA programs that tend to be feeder schools for the gallery system. In undergraduate degrees, there are generally between 80 and 90% female students. And in graduate programs, MFA programs, they're usually between 65 and 70% female students. And then when you look at the numbers of artists represented in the gallery system, uh, when we look at the numbers overall for galleries in LA or in New York, um, they average at about 68 to 70% male artists. Wow, so it so reverses completely. It, yeah, that's right, it's inverted. So that means that it's not just, you can't just say, well, there are 68%, you know, more men than women in the gallery system, you have to consider the fact that there are twice as many women trying to be professional artists as right. men, and that, that makes the disparity seem that much greater. Yeah, yeah. Do you know any... So essentially... Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask if you have any... Well, first of all, I'm curious about how you gather your data, and then is there any way to compare it to, is there a baseline for past, like, art school populations? Oh, good question. Uh, with regard to schools right now, we gather data simply by looking at um, the list of students who are presenting MFA shows, so students who are graduating from the program. Right. And that you can track back a few years. It was back three years so far, but not much further since yeah. that wasn't initially our primary pooling of data collection. Um, and I, I don't know how how well schools track their history of graduates over time. I'm sure that data is available. Yeah. We haven't gotten to it yet yeah. through, through history. Wow. Um, and I think that there's, it would also be really interesting to look at the way secondary schools deal with the arts. Um, because I think there's a big conversation going on right now about trying to pay attention to STEAM versus STEM, so science, technology, um, engineering, and math classes, and then there's a you know, big push to, to add the arts into that core curriculum. Um, I used to, I, I taught high school for a while at a school here in Los Angeles, and it was, I taught video art, and then I also taught some more traditional visual arts classes, and it was really interesting to me to observe that the video art classes and classes in, like, gaming and animation and more kind of traditionally technically-based fields tended to have a much higher enrollment of male students than female students. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned STEM uh, because there is such a broad, like, national conversation about getting women into engineering fields and science fields, and you kind of assume that the humanities are easy for them, like, are much more welcoming to women. And I'm sure, numbers-wise, there are, you know, it, it's a bit better in the art world, but that's part of what I think is so remarkable about these statistics as you think of the art world as being so progressive um but right and and moreover and i think this came up last time is you think of the gallery world as even being a step more progressive right. than the stodgy old museums and institutions right exactly yeah yeah you kind of have heard um about you know the met 
not representing women uh, and, you know, historical issues, but you think of contemporary art as being like very progressive. So this is an interesting question in terms of, I mean, I guess I think that it would be hard for anyone to say, like, is this changing and will this be a similar picture a generation from now or to what extent will it be? But it seems like based on the sort of work that you've been doing, you're probably in a good position of any because, um, you know, one way one way to look at it would be to say, well, there are a lot of people in these programs, in other words, the inputs, but uh, those people are slowly trickling up through the annals of power and, you know, and, you know, but in, in a generation, there will be more representation of women in galleries and in museums, etc. Um, another way to look at it is just, well, here's even more evidence that these people are getting shut down or, and shut out of these, these careers because it's, you know, it's obvious that it's not a lack of supply. Right. Well, I mean, I think it is. I think it's a, it's a good question to ask, like, where things will stand is what can we predict based on kind of trends and numbers now. But I also think it's important to remember that one of the biggest causes, in my perspective, of the discrepancy and the disparity is the structure of capitalism, which still consistently undervalues women's labor in all fields. Right. And if there, there are kind of two issues that you bring up or two characteristics of the art world, which are one is sort of a philosophical perspective in terms of progressive thinking and the humanities being more open to women historically and theoretically. But then when you talk about the professional art world and you talk about the market and you talk about the gallery scene, we're really talking about economics. And Maybe in order to museums. Right. Absolutely. And and in order to predict uh, a, a change or an improvement there, I think we would have to see signs that people are more overtly and more consciously recognizing that capitalism is still a system that discriminates against women. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good point. And I think that yeah, um that is a I mean, at least partially sort of answers that question in saying that, no, it's not a time-based thing. It's not like that we're just dealing with the history. Right. Um, uh, we're dealing with the current problems. Um, one thing that... Well, yeah, go ahead. And I mean, I think if, if you look at the wage gap over time, sure, it's gotten a little bit better, um, but we're still at around 77 cents the dollar and given the amount of time that we've been trying to fight that discrepancy I don't think the progress is enough it's not it's not enough progress fast enough by any means um, in fact the UN Council on Women uh, last year predicted that it would take 80 more years before there's economic parity between men and women nation or internationally wow. and that's just a long that's too long to wait if you ask me yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. So one area that we sort of that Lily and I had sort of read up on a little bit and and were discussing as part of this uh, uh, this talking about these issues was this idea of all women art shows. Lily, did you have? Uh-huh. Yeah, there was. I mean, there's you, there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about all these all women art shows, like the one at Hauserworth and Schimmel, and 
I think the Rubel collection has one. And did you speak um, about, or in, I heard something I thought about you giving a talk around the Rubel collection show. Well, I'm really pleased and honored to say that um, the director of the Rebel Collection told me that that show was was inspired by my activism in the art world. Oh, okay, um, so that's I'm what I'm thinking of. <laughs> I'm delighted to hear that. I wasn't in the show, of course, but, <laughs> but I was happy to have inspired at least some conversation and thinking about it. Um I think there are, of course, pros and cons to the to, to the all women show phenomenon, and you can talk about it in several ways. For one, you can you can address the language part of it, which is um, that some people I think still feel like it's a little bit ghettoizing or fetishizing to to call something an all a, a woman art show or female art show or all women show. Because we've had all male shows for decades, and nobody says that. But you don't see Guggenheim or the MoMA or the Whitney or the Hammer saying, "Oh, and now, and you know, we're really pleased to present our, our latest all male show." Yeah, it's like um, basketball fact, versus women's basketball. Yeah, like, and if and if you so, which which just implicitly acknowledges the fact that that there is this kind of patriarchal default, like that the default is is couched in male terms and then anything else is something other that needs to be described or defined. Um, I do think that that having all women shows, such as the one at Hauser, Schimmelworth and Schimmel, it, it at least point out that institutions are aware that there are holes in their history or holes in their programming structure and it kind of signals that they're trying to raise the conversation and make a difference. But if we're going to get back to the market and look at how women are supported in the art market and in the art world, I think it's one of the major ways that artists support and professionalization is to have representation by galleries. So galleries function as agents, as PR managers, as uh, as advocates. And if galleries are going about having all women shows but not representing women in their roster, then it doesn't it doesn't actually help them in the long run. It doesn't help women artists that much in the long run. And conversely, the galleries can get sort of a pat on the back for doing, you know, something good, but in reality, they're not doing the real work that is necessary to level the playing field. Right. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're getting um, cultural capital by appearing to promote, like, a cause, uh, you know, but then they're not actually taking the risk on female artists. That's right. Which shouldn't so, be you know, once again, once again, this kind of patriarchal capitalist system is benefit, getting benefits from female labor and the women are not getting compensated proportionately for it. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I actually had a, I was talking to a gallerist who's 50-50, documented as such in your poster, and um, he was saying that, you know, he just he didn't mean to be 50-50, he just likes certain art, and that, in fact, it's like a bad business decision because uh, his female artists sell for so much less than his male artists. 
Um, so it. Some women also in the and this this is is um, is totally um, mirrored in other conversations about affirmative action and things like that. Mm-hmm. Some women in the articles were talking about you know, possible stigma as well right. in terms of being... T- and Lily, you've talked a lot about the idea of, of women's responsibility to be female artists instead of being artists just as in terms of their creative work. Right. Um, and so there's there's also, of course, that problem. I mean, you sort of think of why can't a gallery sort of bring on a bunch of women as people that they represent, but then you get into this conversation about, well, is this, is it, is there, is this tokenism or is this, or is this actually yeah. commitment to changing the way that you're doing business? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets to the, the idea of quotas and the kind of negative responses people have when they think that they're, they're being asked to impose a sort of quota mm-hmm. upon their, upon their stable of artists or upon their roster. And, I think that like there, I think that that argument is really problematic in several ways. And um, the one, it, it it ignores the fact that they that most others have essentially had a quota in place. It just so happens that that quota equals out to twice as two times as many men as women, right. and like they're you know and consistently and like over over. Yeah, so it's like they're okay with some quota, but when you propose a different quota, they get upset. Yeah. Um, and I think also this attitude of like, well, it just happened that way, right. uh, is is uh, is demeaning in in many ways because it kind of implicitly deflects the the allegation that feminist sexist, right? People are, are really don't of course don't wanna be called sexist. And I don't think the Gallery Tally project or the data that we're presenting has that objective to indict individuals. The point of the sets of data that we're collecting is to point out these sweeping cultural trends and to say, we have a system that is biased in a system that is problematic and we need to look at what mechanisms in that system are leading to this bias and I totally believe that a lot of people are not conscious uh, of of gender and their choices that is clear to me Mm -hmm. they're not conscious because if they were they might make different decisions (laughs) Um, and I don't know that that's a good thing. I think they pleading ignorance in that case is, is not actually admirable. Um, because then you could also argue if they are not, if they're allegedly just working, work is good, how is it that happen to end up with 70 or 80% male artists? Like then the implication is that, well, art by men is better. Yeah, exactly. uh, which that's I don't. The subtle believe. message is that, well, they're just better male artists. Yeah, or are yeah. yeah, I mean, then you get there is also this market concept of people with money who are a lot of men, right? Um, and then I guess, all right, we're gonna have to leave it there. Um, for those of you who uh, don't know. Artbeat is um, available as a podcast on iTunes, and uh, we've got about 10 or 12 episodes up there now, um, and that uh, interview with Nicole Hebron 
in full will be posted there shortly. Um, if uh, you're interested, um, it would be great if you subscribe. From all of the people that I listen to, um, it seems that subscribing uh, to a podcast is really um, a great thing to do um, in terms of being able to support the pod- the show. Um, just because it uh, opens up uh, a lot of other people to exposure uh, to the show. So if you like the show, um, or if you just want to do me a goddamn favor, um, please search for Artbeat on on iTunes. It has the BFF logo. It is easy to find. And just hit subscribe, and maybe you can uh, catch up on some of the older episodes. Um Thanks, everyone, for listening, and thanks to all my guests. Um, it was a eventful day on the beat on BFF. Um, we will uh, see you next week, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. on Sundays, and thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your weekend, little as it, short as it may be. <laughs>